Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Whitetail Theories podcast. I'm once again joined by Grant Fisher. Uh, we're continuing on our uh, our turkey tour, if you will, or uh, our turkey series podcast, and we have special guest Gary Stanton on the mic joining us. Uh, Gary, I said your last name correctly. Yeah, you did. All right, awesome. I'm terrible with names, and uh, just like double check. Uh, so, what's going on, Gary? Not much, man. Uh, just, I mean, we just put out a record, and honestly, we've had a couple. We had a pretty hellacious uh, January and most of February getting all this stuff done for this new record we put out in February, and now kind of just coasting right now. A little bit of downtime. Uh, I'm actually headed to Mississippi this weekend. My wife's in a wedding, and uh, and we're off the road right now till June. We don't go back to touring, so. Uh, so it's pretty much right now. I, I today what I did is I went and patterned uh, went and patterned some shotguns for some people and uh, just a couple people who just couldn't get around to doing it. They just like to go hunt. So uh, it's one of those things. Uh, I was doing it with the buddy today, and now I'm about to pack up and get ready to go to Mississippi. I reckon. Yeah, how's the weather down there? Well, right now I'm in. I live up in uh, Tennessee. Uh, I live. Uh, just north of Nashville, about 45 minutes, and uh, close to the Kentucky border. But, I mean, it's great. Like, uh, it's listening weather. I couldn't go today, but I'm going to go tomorrow before we leave. And uh, we've had a streak of, like, four days where it's, like, been in the, you know, high 40s. You know, it's going to be in the low 50s tomorrow. And I feel like with this weather pressure, you know, or this weather system been sitting still for the last three days, I feel like tomorrow is going to be a prime day to listen. So, hopefully we'll be able to hear some on the roost tomorrow morning. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, things are starting to warm up. It's starting to look more and more like spring every day. So uh, it gets that, that blood flowing. Uh, but yeah, for our listeners, our listeners that don't know who you are, uh, you are a member of the duo Muscadine Bloodline. And uh, can you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself? Give us a little bit of a background of who you are. Yeah, dude. Okay. First off, Torn, I'm going to help you out. Where are you from, Torn? Pennsylvania. Okay. So they're called Muscadines. So uh, Muscadine Bloodline is the name. And uh, it's that's it's a grape that's grown in the South and you make wine with it. And a lot of people outside of literally like Georgia, I don't know, Grant, did you know what a Muscadine was? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay. So it's, it's a very regional thing and a lot of people get that wrong. So I wasn't like saying that like maliciously, but uh, if you have any friends that ask, uh, it's Muscadine. And we honestly probably should have named a band something a little easier to say uh, for everybody. But once you name a band, you really can't go back. But but no, uh, to, to really get on everything, uh, yeah, I'm Gary Stanton. I play in that duo, uh, Muscadine Bloodline. We're both originally from Mobile, Alabama. Uh, and, yeah, it's uh, we've been doing this for now for about six, seven years, just – to, you know, just pulling the trigger, trying to figure things out, how to navigate the world of music. It's a, it's a pretty uh, fun job, but it's it's a pretty strenuous job, too. Yeah, I can only imagine. And we're going to dive into that uh, here a little bit later. But how did you first get started in the music? Man, early age, I had a, I had a buddy. Uh, he probably doesn't even know this. I don't even know if I've said this on an interview. But his name is Parker Bear. And... Uh, Parker started playing guitar when we were in second grade and we were best friends. So I was like, well, if Parker's going to play, I'm going to play too. And then he quit a couple months after and I just kind of stuck with it. And I don't know, just growing up in South Alabama and, you know, 
growing up in the Baptist church and that kind of thing, playing, you know, in church and stuff like that. And enough people tell you you're half decent at something, you start believing them. And, uh, and it's not just your mom telling you, Hey, you're onto something, you know? So I don't know, just kind of early age kind of knew this is what I wanted to do. And, uh, it's, it's a blessing that, you know, guys bless Charlie and I to like just get to do this for a living. What age, uh, did you decide that like this was the profession that you wanted to make this is what you wanted to get into? I, I knew from a young age, uh, I always wanted to do something in music. I didn't know like what that was. Uh, I went to school for it. I went to Southern university of Southern Mississippi, uh, in, uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And they had a program, which was, uh, it was like a music business program. And so I was like, well, I love music. I love being around it. So whether, you know, whatever jobs they have to offer, little did I know, like there's no connections to anything in the middle of nowhere in Mississippi in the music industry. So uh, I just got, I really fell in love with songwriting, uh, kind of going into my sophomore year of college. And that's all, that's my favorite still to this day. It's my favorite thing about music is just the creation part. All the other stuff, just kind of window dressing uh, that comes with it. But uh, yeah, I, I knew from that. And I knew after I got out of college, uh, I, I had enough money saved to last me a year in, uh, Hattie's, in, in Nashville. And I was like, all right, I'm going to try this for a year. I got a degree. Uh, I can go work on air conditioners with my dad or, or whatever it is. But it was kind of like, I got it. I got enough to, you know, eat some ramen noodles and some peanut butter and pack up the truck and go up there and get some cheap rent and let's figure it out. And then it just worked and we're still just figuring it out. That's awesome. And I guess yeah. uh, maybe going to what do people from outside not really know about being a professional in the music industry? Say somebody just listened to country music, your songs on the radio, don't have a clue into what all goes into it. Man, I would say, Grant, that's like 10% of it, honestly. Uh, it's, a, it's a weird thing because, you know, a lot of people's perception of music is like all they see is it's either you're Kenny Chesney or you're the local guy at the bar. There's no like in between, there's no business infrastructure that like someone can make a living. Do Like I still have family friends that ask my parents, like, like Gary does this for a living. Like that's that, that that's what his job is. Like they're just amazed by that. And it's like, yeah, you can like really do it. And we're a, we're an independent band. And so that being said, we don't have this like huge team around us. We have a pretty, tight little crew that that's on payroll for us. And, you know, we just, we got to do a lot of stuff and, you know, it's, it's cool. Cause I've learned every facet of like what goes into the business. And, uh, it's literally just running a small business and your product is music. And so, uh, it's, it's very interesting and we got to do a lot of extra stuff that a lot of people don't see because the perception of them is we just show up to, uh, you know, a concert play show, have a good time. And then we just go do it again the next night and, you know, just don't have anything to do besides that, just sitting around waiting on the next show. And it's like all the content you have to do, all the planning, all the, you know, all the business stuff, you know, you know, the merch business, the, you know, everything, the, the, the booking of the shows, the putting the tours together, all the different concepts and then creating the music. It all takes time. And so it's, it's, it's a lot of work and, but it's a very rewarding one. If you can kind of get it, if you can get it to a point where you're, you're making enough to sustain yourself, you know, monthly. And that's all you got to do. Like that's, that's a blessing. And then everything that comes after that, it's just like, man, it's just a, it's just a plus. I get to do this for, for a living, which is awesome. And it's successful. Yeah. And, uh, 
going to something about just talking about Musky Down Bloodline and where y'all's inspiration came to start the band. Just a little bit about the band. Speaking about Bloodline. I, Grant, I don't know if I heard you right there. Something kind of went out. Oh, I was saying, um, for people who don't know about Musky Down Bloodline, talk about your inspiration to start the band and just a little bit about yourselves. Yeah, man. So Charlie Moncaster is the other guy. And like I said, we're both from Mobile. Uh, crazy story is uh, we, our parents literally live probably three miles from each other. And we both lived there for 18 years and never met. So we both moved away. And uh, I don't know how we missed each other. We had a, a ton of mutual friends and, and it was just kind of one of these things. He was, he went to Auburn and I was doing the same thing he was doing at Southern Miss. And we were like, man, like I got these bar gigs. I'm playing down in Mississippi and Louisiana. You got yours in Georgia and Alabama. I was like, let's get up and just start like riding the roads together instead of, you know, driving across the Southeast all by your lonesome, showing up to these different bars and these different, you know, college towns to play for, you know, tips and play for four hours a night or whatever. And so we just kind of like, there was that bond that we both knew that, you know, we wanted to do this and we weren't doing it on our own. So it's like, man, might as well team up and do this. And, you know, I, like I said, I moved to Nashville and Charlie moved up a couple months after I did. And we shared a room. He had a, he had a daggum air mattress on my floor, you know, for a few months, just trying to figure it out and all that. And it's kind of just, he's my best friend. Like it's, it's awesome too. Like to be in business with your best friend, obviously like we weren't friends really before we started the, the business really like we were just kind of like acquaintances and we've become closer than blood. And it's, it's awesome. Like, he, you know, it's, it's cool too. Cause he's, he's really gotten into the outdoors the last few years or whatever. And I, you know, I want to say like, I probably had a piece to play in that. And uh, so it's cool. We got to share a lot of cool things. He got to kill his uh, first bow buck this year. A uh, really nice one in Tennessee. And uh, I got to be there and film it. It was a really cool thing to be together and do it. That's awesome. And maybe talk about how y'all came up with the name Muscadine Bloodline and how that originated. Yeah, man. So a, a, mus a Muscadine, like I said earlier, is a grape that's grown in the South. It's, it's a very sweet grape. It's, it's, uh, you make wine with it and that's pretty much, pretty much it. <laughs> I feel like, uh, that most people know about it. And, uh, we were just like, man, naming a band is hard. Cause like, if you're just a one guy, you can just be your name. Right. And then, but when you're a band, you're like, oh, we got to be something kind of cool and, and stick out maybe a little bit. And we were just like, if I want to see something on a flyer, what's going to stick out? And we said, all right, let's, let's find something inherently Southern. And we're like, Muscadine's cool. And then we kind of, for some reason, wanted a two, two word name that kind of flowed together. We're kind of like a, like if you know who like the turnpike troubadours are or something like that, it's like uh, just something that would stick out. And like I said earlier, once you name a band, if it works, it goes back. And Charlie always says this thing. He's like, uh, man, every band name sucks unless it works. And so it's kind of like one of those things where we're like, man, once you name a band and it starts going off, it's like, all right, this is our band. And I still like the name. So it's not like I hate it or anything, but uh yeah, there really wasn't a deep meaning between it. Bloodlines kind of where your heritage, where you come from. And I wish I had something way cooler to tell you, but that's that's really it. <laughs> and I know one of y'all's big things is not having a record label and kind of doing everything yourself. Just kind of talk about how you go about that. How it's yeah. Yeah. Like I said, uh, we're we're an independent band. And honestly, Grant, we haven't we haven't had a record deal offer 
And so it's kind of like, we just kind of took the mindset. It's like, man, we're really passionate about this and really want to do this. So like, let's just pretend like we never get help. How, how do we make this work? And so that's just, you had to just that figuring it out, making, you know, bad decisions and then doming into some good ones and then just kind of rolling with it. And, you know, it took a lot of growing and, and stuff like that, but yeah, it's kind of, we just kind of been doing our thing and it's kind of been a blessing uh, just because now we're in control of whatever we do and we can kind of put out wh- whatever we want. We don't have, you know, vested interest, you know, from a partner or whatever who thinks it should go another way or anything like that. And we can kind of just kind of do whatever we want. And it's kind of nice. I mean, it's a lot more legwork, but it's nice to just be like, Hey, you know what? I want a turkey hunt this, this spring. So let's not tour. And it's like, cool. Let's not, let's not tour. And so it's like, it's kind of, we can get, kind of just control our own destiny. And it's kind of a, it's not the safest route. And it's, and it's honestly, at first, it, it's a lot more legwork and it, it takes a little more time to get to, you know, where you want to be. But honestly, Charlie and I are just content with where we're at business wise and where our fan base is. And, you know, we get to, like I said, you know, we got to a point where we could buy houses and, you know, afford to be married and, and that sort of thing. And so it's kind of like, man, like, everything else is just kind of extra. Like it's just, it's just a, a extra more of a blessing. So we're really fortunate. That's cool. Uh, kind of just to piggyback off of uh, what you <clears throat> elaborated on there. Uh, I want to kind of dive back into the, the business end of being a musician uh, yeah. and, and being a professional in the music industry. So what was, what was the learning curve like what does it look like? Paint the picture for us of the way I look at it is you're a musician, you learn your instrument, uh, you become obviously adequate and then you, you excel at playing that instrument, but there's so much more behind it as far as like understanding audio, understanding recording, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, did you, do you guys have like guys for that or is that something that you guys learned on the way? Um, no, I mean, when it definitely, when it comes to like the recording side of music, like we have a guy that we've, he's actually from South Carolina as well. Uh, his, his name's Ryan Yeomans. And, uh, he's just, he's been with us for a long time. I actually met him on the road. Uh, it's just kind of, I actually met him out on the road. I was, I just moved to town and needed some cash. And so I had a camera at the house. So I just lied and told people that I could make, you know, tour videos for people out on the road. And uh, so I just actually met him on the road. And when Charlie moved up, we just went to him and started recording and, uh, and just kind of started working our craft, figuring it out and that kind of thing. And I mean, kind of painting the picture of like the music industry as a whole, you know, I have a kind of, I wouldn't say jaded look at it, but it's more of a realistic thing. It's kind of like, if you want to be in the music industry, you got to be, in a town where there's infrastructure and other people chasing this thing. So it's not like it's hard to be an independent band from, you know, whatever town you're from where there's no, there's no studios, there's no other songwriters, there's no, you know, there's no like community of that. And that's, that's one thing that Nashville has. There's a lot of people that is, you know, chasing that thing. But the more we've learned, it's like the more authentic we've become, it's like just doing stuff ourselves. Like Charlie and I, like, Ryan engineers our record and we produce the record. And so it's like, we, you know, we spend a lot of time like being like, okay, what does this song need to have on it? That kind of thing. And like, 
and I'm, I'm more of the guitar player. And so like, I'll write out all the parts and we just tour. I mean, we record with our touring band and uh, that's for people who don't know, that's like a pretty uncommon thing. There's a lot of like a class studio musicians here and every day they play on sessions for major label artists. And so we just thought it was cool if we just actually did records with the band that we play with. And uh, it kind of, it's kind of cool because it has its own kind of flavor instead of, just being so polished and so good. Sometimes it's like nice to just be so authentic and have your band out playing the parts and, and doing that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's not even, like I said earlier, it's kind of not even half of it. There's just so much business wise that goes into it. And I'll tell you this, Torin, there's a lot of people uh, that are probably way better musicians than Charlie and I, who just like, don't understand how to make it a business. Like there's probably several mm -hmm. people all across the country that are sitting in their rooms playing and they're incredible guitar players or incredible writers or, or whatever. And it's kind of, you know, they just don't have the guidance or they're maybe a little too, you know, you might be a little gun shy to like quit their job and give it a start and, and that sort of thing. And that's why it's kind of how we're doing things. It's kind of more of a principal thing at this point. Cause you know, we just kind of want to see how, we've always been told like being independent has a glass ceiling, but with the world of, you know, internet and all these different apps and stuff, you can get your product out to so many different people now that you don't have to have this big machine pushing your, pushing your thing that you're doing. So it's kind of like, we kind of just want to do this our, on our own at this point. And it's like, Hey, let's see how far we can take this and, and see what we can do. And, maybe be the biggest independent country band there ever was, you know, and, and, they, and, you know, shine a light on other people to be like, no, nah, I could do it because Muscadine Bloodline did it. And like, if someone comes behind us and follows our blueprint and smokes how far we get, like more power to them. Like, you know, we, we want other people to succeed and, and that sort of thing. And so we're just trying to carve our own lane really. No, absolutely. And I mean, that is, uh, that is no easy task. Uh, I, I think the more and more, and this is from an outside perspective looking in, but you're seeing these documentaries on Netflix and, and you're seeing these documentaries across all these other platforms that are uncovering more and more information about the music industry and what goes into it. And kind of to touch on with what you said, like there may be a hit song and the, the singer is doing, uh, the lyrics for it, but behind it, it's all just uh, paid musicians to come in and play whatever. It's it's not necessarily a band like like with what you were saying. And I think that's something that you guys sticking with. Hey, we're recording with the band that we're touring with. I mean, that's that's commendable. You guys are being pretty much as real as you can be. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, y'all y'all heard the saying like TV killed the radio and that sort of thing. And it's like. You know, as you know, they're just they're trying to market people. Right. Like it's right. it's a big marketing thing. And like and I get it. And for a while there it wasn't about I mean, it's still some it's not really about the music. Sometimes it's about how they look and like, you know, what their personality is and that kind of thing. And like there's a lot of talented introverts out there that probably, you know, just don't don't know how to how to do that or, or you know, some sort of thing of that capacity. And it's like man, I think it's, I think we've gotten so, you know, it's like, there's so many people doing music now with stuff like TikTok, Instagram or whatever that just like 
are doing it now. And there wasn't that big field of play back in the eighties and nineties before social media and that sort of thing, or, you know, even the thought process of being independent, it was not even a thing. And so now it's just like a whole different ball game. And, you know, two guys from mobile Alabama can, you know, literally start from nothing and, and build a fan base and then go travel to, you know, Pennsylvania or whatever and sell 1500 tickets. And you're like, how the heck did we get here? Like it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's just like, just keeping your nose to the grindstone and just working hard and, you know, just being passionate about something. And that's one thing Charlie and I have done. I, I would say a pretty good job is just being tangible. Like, just being real people, like I'm no different than either one of you guys. And I, I just got a different job uh, than y'all have. And it's kind of like, I'm just a normal dude, do the same things. I went to the grocery store today. I went, you know, it's like people put musicians and stuff like at a certain extent on a pedal stool. And, you know, and then you actually start seeing that play out and you see these kind of people. You're like, dang, dude, this guy's got it all, but he doesn't seem to be happy. And so it's like that stuff I'm just – there's stuff out there toward and granted, I'm just not willing to do like, it's like, I'm not going to play ball all the time and neither is Charlie. And it's kind of like, we just enjoy kind of doing our thing and kind of like working at the capacity we want to work at and, and be proud of what we built. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And being happy with what you have too. A hundred percent. Like that's, I think that's the perfect, the perfect formula is like being content, but being driven. Like that's like the perfect wheelhouse to be in because like, obviously, yeah, I want this thing to grow, but like, if this is what, you know, this, if this is what it ends up being, like I'm content with where we're at. Like we've done, done something really cool. And I'm definitely the guy, Charlie's, I'm more the glass half empty guy. Charlie's the glass half full, you know, the yin to the yang kind of thing. But uh, it's kind of like, I got to remind myself to look back and be like, no, this was actually pretty cool. And, 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 you know, once we got pulled off the road during the pandemic at 2020, when we were off the road for a whole year, it's like, you got to put that into perspective a lot. And you're like, dang, like what we do is pretty cool. And I, even though I'm tired all the time, wore out, not getting good sleep and not on a regular schedule, it's like, what do I really have to complain about? You know what I'm saying? For sure. So, <clears throat> excuse me, that kind of ties into my next question here is uh, like, what is touring like? Uh, me working in the hunting industry, in years past, you would have to go out and you'd have to go to trade shows and you have to go out and network and you'd have to be on the road to make all these connections and, and get the brand out there. I would assume that it's something similar for musicians as well. However, with what happened with COVID and everything being shut down and all these new media platforms and the ability to reach so many more people, uh, is do you potentially see touring as something that might even go away? I don't because I feel like people just love to go to concerts. And it's it when people stop liking to go to live events, but you might be onto something, you know, like I mean, every when you know, are people going to the movie th theaters as much as they were 10 years ago? No, because I can watch Ozarks on Netflix. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So it's it it is it is a definitely a different landscape because it just used to be it's like put out record tour. That's all you do. And now there's like there's so many avenues that you know you can, you know, exasperate and, and actually monetize now, you know, with, with YouTube and, and, you know, different, different, you know, vehicles like that. And it's getting your stuff out there. But that's, I feel like, you know, 
I, I, I kind of got a, you know, a weird, you know, point of that, but it's like, man, I don't really, I can't believe that a band's really good until I see them live. And like, that's, I want to see people. And I think people love live music and concerts are just fun for people. And it's a, it's a getaway, especially in, in these times where, you know, everyone seems like is it battle all the time you get on social media and, and s- someone's fighting somebody on every single post. And it's like, it's, it's one place that people can go, you know, race, creed, religion, whatever. It's like, we can go have a good time for 90 minutes and, and drink some beer and sing to the same songs of this artist we like. And so I don't know. I definitely, the landscape has changed and the kind of business we've built is like, you know, it used to be we had to tour because that was, that was our biggest source of income. And it's like, now that we own all of our music and we own all these different facets of our business, like touring is just a, a bonus. And it, and it gave us the opportunity to be like, hey, if we don't want to tour for five months, let's not tour. Let's just actually, you know, do a you know, two leg tour at the, you know, starting in June and end at the end of the year. It's like we don't have to just be on the road constantly. And I feel like somewhere along the way in music, like people are craving authenticity more than ever right now. And it's, it's one of those things where I think a lot of people don't the least amount of focus, especially in Nashville, when it comes to like being in the music industry is the music itself. And uh, that's one thing we, we like, we just put out a record and we we're finishing up our next record uh, next week. And uh, we've been just in the studio the past month and a half, just like every day, just, pretty much working on this, this upcoming record and living a year ahead of all your fans. You know, we put, we, the record we put out in February just, you know, just came out uh, and we've recorded that record a year ago. So it's like putting the, putting the, the work, the, the boots on the ground, so to speak of like getting it into the right people's hands. And, and we get, we got a pretty good team that we've hired, uh, that uh, just kind of help with, you know, like a publicist or, a, you know, digital marketing, you know, campaign for the record and, and those kind of things. But those are the, you know, those are the meetings I have to be in because I'm an independent band and like I don't have a label that speaks for me. So it's like it's a very tangible thing to where it's like you got to be involved in every single aspect of all the business. But I do like that because I'm sort of a control freak and I don't like people talking for me. So it's it's one of those things. No, totally. Uh, well, since this is a hunting podcast, I think it's probably time to uh, maybe switch over to some hunting aspects here. Yeah, man. Uh, can you kind of talk about your background in hunting, how you got into hunting, uh, that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're, I grew up in Mobile. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a country boy. I'm not, I play country music and like, I love everything outdoors, but I grew up in Mobile proper. And, uh, it's one of those things where like you kind of, you know, till you're able to drive, you don't really, you kind of, you kind of like have to do what your parents like to do on the weekends. Uh, my dad was a fisher and, uh, he had me fished out by the time I was probably, you know, 10 years old. And, uh, but we also, I played a lot of ball and so did my brother. And so, you know, once you start, you know, playing basketball, baseball, and football, there's no really time to hunt on the weekends. And when you're in school, you can't just get up in the morning and go. So, uh, not to really, I was about 15. I had a, I have, he's still one of my best friends. Uh, he gave me an old PSE spider bow, uh, when I was 15. It was like a pretty, pretty low, low end bow, I would say. And, uh, but I just kept shooting it in the backyard, just getting better. And, 
uh, killed my first buck with a bow when I was, when I was 15. And then I was like, I was like, okay, this is cool. And, uh, so I just really got into the, the deer hunting thing. And then obviously my dad was a freshwater fisher. And then once I started getting into like speckled trout fishing and red fishing, like that's my second love besides turkey hunting. But, uh, I, I was late bloomer to turkey hunting because none of my friends turkey hunted where I was from. When, when spring comes along, like the, the trout bite gets good and everybody's going, you know, going fishing in the mornings. So, uh, my dad really didn't hunt, uh, when I was a kid growing up and he did a lot. I don't know where the, where the switch changed, but my dad was a huge hunter in, in high school and college. He's from a small town called Monroeville, Alabama. And, uh, he, I don't know. We just never really went. I guess we just really didn't have time to, to go or the, our lack of places to go. And, uh, and so I kind of had to find it for myself. I wish, I wish I'd have had that kind of like, you know, mentor, but I just had friends, I guess that were pretty good mentors, you know, getting involved in it. But it, it kind of goes with what you were talking about earlier, like the access to so much information and stuff, just like access to being an independent musician. It's like, there's so much out there that will teach you how to hunt and, and do a lot of things. And, and so, and I, and I like learning those kind of things and diving in and, and being practical about them. And really it was my hunting experience till I was in college was kind of like, okay, friend, take me to the stand and, you know, hopefully something comes by. And that, that was pretty much it. I didn't understand wind or what people, what, what time, you know, of the year they're, you know, deer feeding on this or, you know, all those different aspects that, that go into hunting, uh, you know, a spot. And so those are things I had to kind of learn on my own and cut my teeth on, you know, public land. Cause I didn't have the money to do leases and stuff. Unfortunately in Tennessee where I've been, like there's, there's a pretty good plethora of public land around middle Tennessee. So I just got out there and just kind of started just trying to figure it out. And that's, that's really kind of like my intro to it. I was a little late to the game, but now I'm just absolutely ate up with it. It's interesting. It, probably every single guest that I have on the podcast comes from two different backgrounds. It's either that they had a mentor, father, grandfather, family, friend, etc., that got them into hunting. And they, it was just like built into them at an early age, or mm-hmm. it was a similar situation like you, where you got into it at a later age, but you were so enamorated into it or so, so entwined into it that it just kind of took over your personality and became a person, like a part of who you are. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. Like, like, you know, different people have that, you know, I, they, like you talked about, like the friends that I was going with were, you know, kids who grew up and their dads were out there on the weekends and my dad wasn't there. And it was kind of one of those things where, you know, you know, I was learning just these, these different things from them. And then, you know, like I said, I think, I think there's that gap. Like, I think a lot of people want to go try these things, but I think we live in an age where people hate asking, uh, Mm -hmm. or don't, or it's not even about asking. They're afraid to look stupid. That's what I was going to say. And, and if you're, if you're afraid to be stupid, you'll never learn anything because like, I always want to be the stupidest person in the room. Uh, so it's like getting around people that, you know, you can learn from. It's just like have vast knowledge in these things you're interested in. And, and there's so many things that like people don't know that's like right at the tip of their hands. Like uh, 
a few weeks ago, we had a good, we had a, a good weekend for burning. And like, so I got on TWRA, the Tennessee wildlife, and I found a contact for the County I lived in that were doing burns. And I was like, Hey, I don't really know a lot about this stuff, but I'd love to come learn. And, and so he said, yeah, dude, we're doing this burn here. Just, he just sent me an address and I showed up and, and, and I got to watch these things. It's, it's like these people think like a lot of people see wildlife agencies or, you know, the, the game warden is like, he's the cop, right? Like, Oh, don't be around. But it's like, these guys are like, I've been on hunting trips up to, up to Maine and, and places like that. where like, they are like the resource there and they're like, they'll help you out. You know, if you're on your out of state trip or, you know, point you in the right direction and, and those sort of things. And so that's where the kind of, I think the juxtaposition really of the whole thing is, is like people don't want to look stupid. And, and so instead of, the fear of looking stupid in front of people, they just, they just write it off and don't go try things. Well, here, here's the other part to it. Whatever happened to, uh, whatever happened to the idea of you got to start somewhere. Yeah, so I know. You don't come out of the womb, uh, an expert. Exactly. And, and I, I think it's, it's that, it's another thing is that social media things a blessing and a curse. Cause like we live in a world now, like, you know, you could be proud of this deer you kill. Right. And, but then like you put it online and someone's like, I want to kill that. Or like, why'd you shoot that? Like you, I would have left it for another year. Oh, he's only a two and a half, three year old or whatever. So it's just like, people are just like worried. It's like, dang, it's gotta be a daggum Boone and Crockett for you to even, you know, <laughs> want to post it on Instagram. Like it seems to be. So it's just, it's just one of those things, and that's the that's the biggest down downfall. I feel like of that 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 whole like hunter culture, man. It's like I feel like our public enemy number one a lot of times is us ourselves because we can't just like let people enjoy you know going out there and getting after it. You know, I've shot my fair share share of coal bucks and haven't shot you know over a hundred and thirty five inch deer in my life, and it's like it's one of those things where it's like, I don't care. I, I just enjoy being out there, you know, hunting them, finding sign on public land and, and picking a right day, right when, and hopefully it works out. And it's, it's those kind of things. And every time you go, you're still learning something. So it's like, it's, it's, know, it's weird. It's, it's a mind boggling thing. And I hate that it, it is that. Cause like, I feel like all of our grandfathers would be like rolling in on their graves. They have realized what like hunting's become. You know, to, uh, for a lot of people. And, you know, it's when I, was, I mean, I remember seeing those old pictures of like, you know, my dad or, you know, my my grandfather with a with a buck or, or something like that. And it's like this like little coal buck could be the spike or whatever. And they're just so proud of that thing. Like, especially where I come from in Alabama, like there the deer population was pretty low there for a little bit. And uh, it's, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, they were just like, Hey, if we see something and it ain't got spots, it's brown, it's down, we shooting. So I feel like that culture still kind of lives in Alabama a little bit, to be honest, but uh, it's one of those things, uh, you know, people learn, but yeah, it's cool. Like, you know, Charlie, like I said earlier, he killed a, killed a pretty nice eight point, eight point out at, uh, you know, one of my leases and like, just to be there with him, like that, that was, you know, way more exciting than probably the last like two or three deer I killed myself just to like, see that, like how excited he was about that. And like, that was just like, I mean, that, that freaking made my whole season, you know, could have ended right there and I'd have been good with it. And those are those things where, you know, 
like I said, people, until they try it, they, they can't really figure it out. And like, you really don't have a dog in the fight or you're, you know, and it doesn't, your opinion really doesn't matter if you go out there and go ch- until you try it. Right. I 100% agree. 100% agree. With and you. Uh, jump in real quick, going how you said people feel stupid and afraid to ask questions. It's like going back to no questions, a dumb question. Like if you're trying to learn or get into turkey hunting or music or whatever, not, and you're too afraid to ask a question, you're never going to learn anything if you're not going to ask other people and most of the time especially with turkey hunters or knowledgeable people in general they're going to be more than happy to help somebody wanting to learn yeah oh i shoot i don't know the turkey hunters you grew up around because yeah, my well, friends tell me anything <laughs> but uh not i'm just kidding well, but no they're, they're, <laughs> yeah to an extent when people are getting into it i know no doubt like i got good like a lot of my closest friends are guys that i you know it started off we like showed up you know at the same turkey woods or what that's i mean that's how Hunter and I met Farrier and like Hunter's that y'all just did. And he's one of my best friends. And so it's like, and he's been Turkey hunting since he walked out of the womb. And so it's like, I've learned so much from him. Sometimes I feel like I'm going with my dad sometimes when I'm with him. Cause he, he tends to yell at me every now and then, <laughs> but, uh, but no, it's, 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 it's a cool thing to like share those things with people. And, and like, like I said, just wanting to go with people who are knowledgeable and then, going out there on your own and putting that practice into, you know, into play and then like being successful and be like, dang, like I did that. Like I've, I've learned something here, you know, through this and Turkey hunting. That's why I love Turkey hunting because every day is a different day. And it's like, you never know what's going to go down in the woods and feel like God throws you alley-oop every now and then where you're like, man, like it's like, I shot this one off the roost and it's like, I wish I could have worked that one a little, worked harder for it. But then you, accumulate all the time you worked out last week and you know didn't get close at all it's like okay well if it happens in five minutes so be it mm-hmm. yeah and going back like you said someone getting into turkey and it's like don't expect an expert or someone who's doing it for years to um drop you pins or tell you every detail about what they do but if you get invited on a hunt make sure to go and pay attention and learn from everything you can and just as a humbling game be prepared to don't expect to go out and become an expert in a couple of years it's going to take a few years of learning, getting it handed to you, and then you'll treasure the experiences that you've learned from more than the ones you killed, probably. No, yeah, you're totally right, man. And uh, and I, I was just being kind of uh, satirical when I said, oh, yeah, you, know, for sure. you know, that. But uh, but it's uh, uh, no, you're you're so right. It's uh, it's a cool thing to get to do that, and then you know, actually, I not only I Charlie got to kill his first, I got to call up Charlie's first turkey this year in Wyoming. We went out to the Black Hills. And he killed his first turkey and daggum six inches of snow in the Black Hills. And I was just like, man, like, if you only knew how special this really was, like, and he does or whatever, but it was just, like, so cool to just just be there uh, with him to experience that. And now, you know, he's amped up about, you know, going, you know, going this year and, and stuff like that. So that'll be a marquee of, you know, the season two. And now he wants to go. His goal this year is to just try to harvest a turkey by himself this year. And I think that's a good goal. Absolutely. That, and then that's a good point too, is like for new hunters or uh, whatever, if you're, if you're new into anything, the aspect of having realistic goals too. hundred percent. No, it's true. It, it, it's so true. And, you know, it's, I think also too coming into it, it's, it's definitely, and we, we, we carry a burden as, as hunters. It's one of those things. It's like, you know, the people we take, like this could be their first experience into the sport. So it's like being good stewards and like, 
you know, I feel like if you, you know, I love, I ended up loving turkey hunting so much because of guys like Hunter and uh, those, those kind of guys I went with, I saw the passion and how much they just cared about turkeys in general. And it's like, man, like this is infectious. And, uh, and then now I'm like right there with them, you know, in, in, in everything and, and like how they feel about it and those kind of things. It's not a day goes by that I don't, I don't think it's something about turkeys. And it's, uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's a religion. My wife hates the spring, but she's like, well, it's better than, uh, it's better than a six month deer season. <laughs> All right. Uh, I got one more question. It's kind of rewinding here a little bit. Uh, it's touching on music and hunting. Uh, but if, if you could go and talk to yourself an earlier you 10 years ago or, or whatever, uh, what's one thing that you wish you knew about hunting and also music that you know now that you wish you knew 10 years ago? Man, uh, I wish, I wish I'd have known, uh, about public land that I didn't have to wait for, you know, someone to just invite me to go. Cause I'm, I hate being the guy who's like, Hey man, can I go hunting with you or whatever? And most of those people are like super like amped for you to go, but I hate feeling like a freeloader. And so it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, I wish I'd have known like, Oh, I can get out here and do this. And, and really with Turkey hunt, it's like, I wish I would have done that. Cause all that money, you know, I was pissing away going to Panama city on spring break. I could have just like, gone up to the the national forest and had myself a blast if i could go back i would have just i'd have just jumped into it if i had a car and, and just wanted to go and that and that sort of thing like when i was in you know high school and had and, and knew what i knew now it's like man i'd have been out there you know when i was 16 mm-hmm. and uh i would say music if i could go back i would just say stay the course it's 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 a uh, it doesn't happen overnight and you kind of turn around and look back at what you've done and you're like, man, this is really cool. Like you ought to be proud of, you know, what you've done and, 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 you know, what you get to do. And it's such a blessing. And it's really just like, you know, it's, it's hard to be to dude who just won't quit. And that's, that's one of those things where with, with music for sure, it's like, it does not happen overnight. And, you know, they say, you hear of like, you know, one hit wonders or a one overnight success. It's like, those overnight successes usually it seems like it came out of nowhere, but it's like that guy's been working on that for a long time and has put his 10,000 hours in. And, and now it's like, you know, he's getting his time to shine. Yeah, no, I, you're hundred percent right. I, that's a, that's a great takeaway as far as just applying that to life in general. Yeah, no, no doubt. We've uh, kind of hit on this a little bit, but just kind of go more specific. What makes turkey hunting so special to you, and how did you find or fall so obsessed with it? Man, uh, one, I love the weather. I love spring. I love, I love seeing azalea blooms. I love seeing, you know, trees budding out. I love hearing the songbirds. Uh, like everything about spring is just it's it's a rejuvenation and. It's kind of one of those things where turkey hunting specifically, I love that. I just, I'm not saying it's the most challenging of all the, the sports. Maybe, maybe it is, maybe it's not depending on who you ask, but uh, I just love how you never know what you're really getting into and uh, it's never guaranteed. And it's the, it's the one hunting where it's not, you know, there's a lot, if you're hunting a big, big deer or something like that and, 
you got him on camera. I know the chess, there's a chess match to that, the right setup, right time, right thing. But it's not like – like when I'm turkey hunting, like nothing else matters. Music doesn't matter, nothing – like nothing. It's just you against that turkey. And I love those – getting into that chess match where, you know, you have those some that take you maybe five hours to kill. And I mean, you might not get a shot at it. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, that's that's the thing. And I don't know what it is about it, but it's like, I feel like after, you know, you have a successful hunt, you take like a day off and then all you want to do is go back and go again. And it's, and it's just like, it's like a never ending thing. It's for, for me, for some reason, like Turkey hunting's like, ne it's never enough. And I just got to get more of it. And, uh, I don't know. I think just the origins of getting into it was really, you know, I had buddies in college from Mississippi who really enjoyed it. And then really once I met Hunter, like, uh, I'm at Hunter and them on a whim. Uh, they came out to a concert that we were playing in Jackson, Mississippi, right before the pandemic happened. And he brought me some Spring Legion hats that, like, they, and this company wasn't even a company. He probably had like six hats or something like that. And he he played uh, football in college with one of my buddies from high school. And then uh, I didn't know that until then. And then my buddy called him, who's also a Hunter. He's like, "Hey, dude, you need to go with these guys. Like, they're great dudes. It's not just some like." random person asking you to go hunting it's not it's it's they're they're great guys and so we got pulled off the road and turkey season was starting the next week and you know they hit me up and was like you want to go and i was like yeah sure why not i'll ride down and ended up just you know seeing how much they loved it and then i was like all right i love this too now and now i gotta figure out how to do this more in tennessee and so it's like that's when it's like, okay, get on next. And we were off the road. I was going to all the public land that you could find in Tennessee. You know, if there's a WMA out there in Tennessee, I've probably driven at least through it. And so it's it's one of those things where just learning and going and striking out and and that sort of thing. And then, you know, putting in those hours to figure it out and it, and then dumbing dumbing into one every now and then. It's really cool. But I don't know, I don't know what's so special about it. And I, and then, and I wish I could give you a better concrete answer, but just like, I just love, I mean, I personally hunt alone often. Uh, I just, I enjoy going with people. Uh, but also too, I, I enjoy being there by yourself because you don't have to think for that person behind you and, uh, worried about what they're doing and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and so you can kind of make all your steps and not have to worry about the person behind you and, it's all the the setups and the challenges of, of that sort of thing and checking the, the, the gobbler's temperature and, you know, what he's doing in this scenario and, and you know, how do, how do we play this? And it's, it can be 10 different things. And, and also too, what I like about turkey hunt is like, there's no absolute cause like there's, you know, there's a bunch of different people, you know, that might pick a different Avenue than I take to go after this Turkey and they can be successful. And that's one scary thing about turkey hunting too, cause it makes a lot of opinion Pete opinionated people because i feel like if someone kills two or three of them by themselves you can't tell them anything after that so it's kind of like one of those things but i don't know i, th I just feel like it's sacred and maybe it's because it's a short it's a short season as well for the most part so you just got to get in and go after it and you know if you got we got a five six months deer season in tennessee and it's like yeah i can afford to miss a few days but if you go, if you go a couple of days, you miss it here and you're at the house, you, you're able to go. It's like, man, screw this. I'm going like, it's like, cause you never know what's going to happen out there. No, that's a great explanation. I totally agree with everything you say. It's like when you're turkey hunting, you get a one-on-one -on -one experience with that bird and you never know. It may take a few minutes or it may take a few hours or a few days to get that bird killed. And 
sometimes deer hunting, he just walks by and you harvest the deer and it's special, but it's nothing like interacting with an animal for a whole day before you're killing them. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, you're literally faking nature and it's it's like it's cool to see that like the I mean, obviously, I feel like the calling aspect of turkey hunting is everyone's favorite. But I mean, I've learned the hard way. It's just like a lot of times, most of the time you're killing them is when you're just shutting up. And it's 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 one of those things where it's like and I, I honestly I think it's something that like you can never learn enough about. I, I read a lot of turkey literature and I and and just talking to people and, and that sort of thing. It's like, and I feel like turkey hunters are weird like that. They just want more knowledge because it don't matter if you're like Tom Kelly's still trying to learn something new, you know, about turkeys. It's 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 like there's never like enough about it that and I don't know. You get we I took some my uh my in-laws, my wife's dad, they have a quail operation down in South Mississippi. And uh, I took some buddies. Uh, I don't know if you know Lake and Jordan from Primo's. And I took Hunter and uh, Austin from Spring Legion and Charlie. And we went out there, you know, for a quail hunt. And it was one of those things we got to the camp and within 30 minutes, all we're talking about is turkeys. And it's just like, I don't know what, what that is about turkey hunters, but like, that's all they want to talk about. And it's, and it's a, a weird thing, but I love it because, you know, I had the opportunity to come on here and talk turkeys with people. And I was like, I'm biting on the opportunity to do this. So it's just like, I just love, love it. Yeah. It's like the turkey hunting community is a small niche. And whether you've known somebody forever, or just met them at say a concert, a campfire, you can, you know, when they're a true turkey hunter and you'll strike up a conversation. for Yeah. And, a long and you time. know, the ones, and you know, the ones who are really hardcore about it. Like it's one of those things that I don't know what it is, but it's like, you get that connection. And I got guys that, you know, I've become best friends with over this dadgum bird. You know, that's our bond. That's the only thing we really have in common maybe. And it's like, we're from different parts of the country. And like, especially during, during season, if someone harvests one, it's like you either don't hear from it at all. Or the only time you're hearing from them is, you know, when they, when they've actually harvested one. And then you just, they're going to, they want to tell you the hunt verbatim, every single aspect of it, every little thing. And it's like, and I'm that way too. And so I don't know what it is, but it's, it's a cool community and it's, uh, it's cool to see. I, I got to go to the NWTF convention for the first time. We're usually touring during this time and we weren't. And so I got to go help Hunter and them at the, at the spring Legion booth for three days. And it was just cool to talk Turkey with a bunch of people and, you know, find people who are just as passionate about, about it. So it's really, it's a really fun thing and, uh, really blessed, you know, that resource is available for us and, we got to make sure we're doing our part too to protect that. So, you know, our kids can have that and their kids can have that. Absolutely. And you've hit on a little bit, but going on with being a professional in the music industry, how do you balance hunting and your time with work and touring and all that? Man, uh, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty anal when it comes to music, but when it comes to, when it comes March to, to May, uh, they, they're honestly asking where I'm at it's kind of one of those things like it's kind of like hey we know gary's going to be kind of obsolete this time he's going to be hunting so i don't know i guess i don't balance it too well if i gotta go play a show i will but it's like i ain't we're not songwriting we're not working on records we're not doing anything like that we're getting what business we got to get done and besides that i'm i'm hunting yeah i understand completely where you're coming from with that because I'm yeah. the same way with my job. If I can be in the woods, I'm going to be every hour from March to May. 
<laughs> yeah, no, that's that's how it is, man. And they they and then kind of set that precedent the last few years, and they just know it's like I don't, there ain't much hanging out with friends. There isn't you know any extracurricular activities. It's more just I'm gonna be hunting, and if you need me, that's where I'm gonna be. Yeah. Well, I guess a lot of friendships are lost in May turkey hunting because somebody knows a turkey hunter. If it's season, they're going to be in the woods over all the priorities. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, no, it's true. Like you become a ghost kind of and like your only friend, the only people you're in contact with is the other people across the country doing the exact same your thing you're doing. So it's, uh, it's really, it's really an interesting thing, but yeah, it's a, it's a disease, man. It really is. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it sinks. If it sinks its teeth in you, it's, it's, it's game over because it's highly addictive. Do you uh, have a most memorable hunt or turkey that you'd like to talk about? I know a lot you talk about your hunt with Charlie out west. I'm sure that means a lot to you or maybe your first bird or something like that. Man, yeah. Let's see. I would probably say I had my favorite one. Actually, it's probably it's probably this year. Uh, I went up to Kentucky and uh, – and I had one day to hunt because uh, we were heading back on the road and the guys got in the van and headed off and we were, they were heading out west. And I was like, you know what? I got season's over one more day. I'm just going to get a plane ticket and meet y'all out there. And uh, I just like – I was going in blind and it was one of those things where, you know, you when you go in blind, it's like, okay, what are we doing here? Let's read terrain. Let's Okay, let's get to a high point and get in there at dark and see if we can listen and – I just picked the right spot really. And, uh, it was one of those things where the place I was hunting was up at the bases of the, the uh, Appalachian mountains. And so it's kind of one of those things where it's like 900 feet elevation. I had to climb up this big hill, get up there. And then as soon as I got to the top over the other side of the ridge, one hammers off at about 150 steps. And, uh, so I just had to hit the deck and, he and I, I just did some scratching in the leaves as soon as it got. He did that. I don't know what you call it, but I feel like it's that. You know, he hits that double, triple gobble kind of thing, and it's about fly down, fly down time. You can kind of just like, sort of just guessing, reading the situation. And I just did some scratching in the leaves, and you know where I was. I didn't. I didn't want to make any movement because when I first, I like I could see him plain as day uh, up in the tree when. When I got when I sat down, so I couldn't I couldn't go through my I didn't have my call my call pouches in my you know was in my vest and I didn't have should have put a mouth call in and I didn't have one. I was like, okay, well, what's the best thing I could do? And I uh, just I scratched. He pitched down and I, there was like a lip on this this cliff, and uh, he flew down right below me, probably eight yards in front of me. And uh, it was like I couldn't see him and he couldn't see me, but he was doing that when he, he gobbled right there and it's like, you hear that it almost sounds like drumming that chest gobbling. It's so close that it sounds, it has that like almost drum to it. And it's like, it's a weird sound that I'd really never heard before. Cause I'd never been eight yards from a super mature goblin, you know, Eastern. And, uh, he kind of just went down the ridge and, you know, he, he couldn't stand it. And I was up there and I just gave him a few little soft yelps. And, and once he, once it came to that, like he kind of, he kind of went away from me about 40 steps and then came right back up on that ridge. And I shot him at Dagum. I think it was like four, no, 542 in the morning. It was the earliest. Like it happened so fast. And like where I was hunting was two and a half hours from my house. So I left the house at probably one thirty in the morning uh, to get there. And it's like, then I literally calling my wife at, you know, 
you know, 540 and she's getting my wife's a nurse and she's going to work. And I'm like, Hey, I'm heading home. Like it was just like one of these things, but that was a pretty cool one. And he's a big old long spurred sucker and uh biggest turkey I'd ever killed. And it was, it was kind of a crazy cause once I shot him, like I said, we were on this mountainside pretty much and he fell all the way to the bottom. So here I was just like, I get all happy. I'm, I'm one of those guys who you don't have to, but I feel like once you shoot one, you got to run after him kind of deal. And I was right on his tail as he's rolling down the hill. You know, I'm surprised I didn't break an ankle or a leg or anything, but it was something special about that. And I don't know. It, it was just cool just going in blind and, and getting lucky is all that was. And so uh, I just, I just love those. And I mean, I got to, I'm just looking at them on the wall right now. The fans, I was trying to run through, through my head, which ones were cool. But uh, I'd say that one was probably my favorite one just because, a lot of us on the line with it being the last day of season and the only day I got to go up to that property and, and go hunt and, you know, going in blind and being successful is always makes you feel, makes you feel a little good. Oh yeah. Always when you go in blind and come out with the bird, it's a great reward and makes you feel good about yourself too. Yeah. So, but there's way more times where it don't work out, but that's, that's another thing that keeps you coming back too. Cause you're, you're looking for that successful time that you're like, ah, all I want to do is do that again. And then, but I don't know. I'm, you might be like me, Grant. I always remember the, the, the mishaps, the ones that got away more than the ones you kill. And oh, so it's funny. like, so it's, it's one of those things where it's like, that's a, that's another, that's a whole nother base. And I don't know why we do that, but I can still, and I see them, those hunts more vividly than I see the successful ones. I feel like, and it's like, but that's what keeps me coming back. Yeah, you're always wanting to build and learn and make up better off the mistakes you've made for the next. You'll be prepared if it happens again for the same yeah. opportunity. Yeah. I, I always get nervous going into the, the beginning of the season because I'm like, man, did I lose it or what? You know, I've been – I mean, I always keep a mouth call in the car or the truck and just kind of roll around and, you know, have one in. But I always feel like I might never get to call one up again. Like that last one was the last one, and it's like – I don't know. I always get this like insecurity going in, going into seasons. It's like, hey, hopefully I can still do this and and be successful, you know. So I don't know. I'm weird like that, and always I'm an overthinker. I reckon. I don't know for sure. I'm the same way. Always ready to get the first trigger pull out of the way and make sure you're not gonna get skunked. <laughs> yep, hundred percent. And then everything else after that, it's just like, okay, well we've at least got one on the got one on the ground. So let's you know let's enjoy the rest of this. What kind of um, advice would you have for a new turkey hunter or someone just getting started going on their own? Learn how to be still. Uh, that's 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 the main one. Uh huh. No, I just go out there. But you know, I would say there's a lot of things like you know your Onyxes and your hunt stands and all your apps now that you can do. Sad, like you know, you can do a bunch of research, but just finding places that has turkey because if you ain't got turkeys to hunt you you just wasting time you know if you're in an area where there ain't there so it's like you know do your due diligence get riding in the truck or, you know if i get a pretty day or if it's after a rain and i got free time uh i'm 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 looking in fields and i'm pinning birds and you know that might be a door i go knock on or or whatever but it's one of those things where i think it's just getting out there swinging the bat and you know i remember you know the first time you I went out on public land here in Tennessee and got on a goblin turkey. And I was like, oh my gosh, just like the fact I'm in the ball game is 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 that cool. Like that's what's keeping me coming back. And uh so I would say, yeah, just you know, just get out there and do it. Learn and then 
you know, research, learn, you can learn anything, whether it's books or, I mean, Dagum, Dave Owens and the hunting public guys, they teach you how to hunt. And those are good guys to learn from, you know, so it's, you know, just using all those resources and, you know, diving in and just getting after it and know, you know, you're not going to go out there and kill a turkey, you know, your first time, you know, probably, you know, you might get lucky, but it's like, it might take some time to, to learn how to do it. And, but that's, that's all part of the journey too. It's like getting confident in your abilities on your own. That's one thing I've, I've really last couple of years have been really trying to refine. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the, the wealth of knowledge available for the public now is much greater than it used to be with YouTube and app mapping apps and everything you just listed really. You should take advantage. Everybody should take advantage of it if they're wanting to get started, especially looking for land to hunt because you can't yeah. use having land as an excuse. Yeah, no, you can't because you can get, yeah, there's well, there's a way. I mean, I'm a door knocking fool. I'll, I'll knock on a hundred doors to get one. Yes. It ain't, you know, but it says you make that relationship and it's like, you know, but I, I would say I was, I was kind of thinking as I was rambling, like what's things like one thing you tell new hunters, it's like, it's a blessing to hunt turkeys. And like, you know, if you love the resource, you'll want to protect it. So like there's a whole community of people who want to get involved and do things the right way. And, you know, I don't care how you hunt or, you know, how, you know, what, what tactics you use to hunt them. But it's like, there's a lot of resources here, like stuff like, you know, NWTF and, and, different things like that that you can get involved in research projects that, you know, we're doing a research project with spring legion and, uh, Dr. Chamberlain, we're raising some money, uh, for that little promo right there. But, uh, it's, it's just those ways to get involved. And, and if you care about it and, you know, and you take away from the resource, we, you, you need to have the attitude of giving back to the resource as well. I got a question for uh, both of you. I consider myself relatively a novice turkey hunter. Um, but how much do you feel, and especially with like kind of the variables of turkey hunting and turkey hunting being so unique, how much do you feel confidence plays a role in your setups in just turkey hunting in general? Grant, you want to, you want to take that one? Yeah, right, first. And then, yeah. yeah. I would say it plays a 100% role in your setups, like, or just setups, calling and everything. Because if you go into the woods not confident in what you're doing, you're going to be fidgety, not patient. You're not going to want to sit and wait, or you're going to be thinking, oh, that call wasn't good enough. Maybe I should try this. Like, if you're not confident, you're probably going to kill a bird way less times than if you were confident. Because going into something without confidence, just sitting there. I don't know what the exact word is, but you're just not going to have any faith in yourself that you have the ability to do it. Now, maybe if you are a novice or just getting into it, just having the confidence that, hey, my setup's right. Let's sit here another 30 minutes or let's try this call one more time. Then you're going to have that much more faith that, hey, another 30 minutes, that turkey may walk in. And a lot of times an extra few minutes sitting there being still and not fidgety is all the difference it'll make to kill that bird because – who knows, he may have been coming in and you stand up, walk off and spook him and you never knew he was in the world or coming and you'll never know that again. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's, I feel like the answer for every single turkey question is always ends with it depends. Like, cause every scenario is different, but I'd say the setup is everything because like if you ain't in the right setup, you know, you ain't going to be able to kill him or whatever. So it's, it's one of those things where it's, you know, especially the way I hunt too. I love hunting hardwoods and, you know, I don't like using decoys or, or, you know, fans or anything like that. I just like, I'm a, 
I'm not, I'm, I'm don't condone those things, but I also, I'm, I'm wouldn't say I'm like a purist or, or whatever, but I do like, I feel like that's how, you know, I learned how to hunt and the people that, that I learned how to hunt with, that's how they hunt. And that's how I love to hunt. And, uh, that being said, if you ain't got something for them to look at set up, it's absolutely key. It's just like, Hey, well, I got one goblin in this bottom, you know, it's like, okay, well, let me put something between us because, if I call from here, he's going to see there's not a hen here. So therefore he's going to know something's up or he's going to hang up or whatever. Just like when to know when to call. I feel like every, the most, I feel like the most, and I'm not the best caller in the world by no means. Like I can get the job done, but it's not, you know, it's not something I pride in. And it's like, I think more so knowing not when to call is more important than when to call. And, and it's, it's one of those things where, you know, every, every situation plays a, plays a different role and you're going to mess those up. Cause like even last year I had a situation just like what Grant said, it was, you know, I had a, this bird that was giving me fits of uh, just one of them old gobblers who gobble on the limb and he just shuts up and he's got his area he's in and he doesn't do anything. And uh, I laid eyes on him and got, you know, something in between us. Uh, I got like a, a roll in a, in a ridge in these, in this hard, these hardwoods. And, uh, I mean, I called up some Jake's and called up some hens to come check me out, whatever. I was there for three hours. And then I was like, well, he's not coming or whatever. And I popped up and he was right where I saw him. He buggered off. And it was just like, those are those things like you don't really, you know, or whatever. And it's just like, uh, I think a lot of people get, if they're not here in goblin, they're like, they're not turkey hunting. And so it's like, no, nah, it's like, there's a lot of things you can do. Check sign, read scratch, read, read, read fresh droppings, you know, where you are, like, you know, are, are turkeys hanging out there? It's like, those are all important things that, you know, that just is stuff you're going to learn from just going. And, and, you know, you can learn those different, you know, kind of things. I feel like towards, you know, those kind of attributes on online, but I, I feel like the best teacher is still just like going out there and messing up. And then you're like, okay, I did this last time and this is what happened and it didn't work. So let's try something else. Yeah, exactly. The more you mess up, the more you're going to learn from it. And you mentioned it a little bit already, but I was going to get you to talk about the um, Sounds of the South shirt you have with y'all in Spring Legion and how the money's going to Chamberlain and how that idea came about and where people can find one to purchase. I know I've already purchased a couple and it's a great looking shirt. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, yeah, like we did a collab shirt with Spring Legion last year and we were just, we were like, man, let's just do something together. Cause like, honestly, I just believe in Hunter and I think Hunter's awesome and uh, he's a great dude and a great friend. So, and like I said, if there's something with turkey hunting that's, you know, we can get involved in, cool. And so we did a, we did a shirt last year for a, uh, an organization called uh, Fathers in the Field. And it's kind of like, getting kids in the outdoors that, you know, come from, you know, maybe single mother homes or their dad's not in the picture. And it kind of gives them like a mentor to like go hunt with and a kind of a life coach thing. And so we did that last year and I had a lot of success and we were like, man, okay. Like we could do something like that, but like what's kind of pressing in the Turkey world. And like, and we are like, okay, it's definitely, you know, conservation aspect of it. Cause like, there's no denying that like, you know, populations are down and there's more hunters than there's ever been, which is, I think is a great thing. Uh, it's just like setting the standard and, and educating people on, 
you know, the importance of like protecting the resource, things we can do and not just be a taker of the resource. And so I, I follow, you know, Dr. Chamberlain on everything. I, I love listening to him when he's on a podcast or everything. He's such a wealth of knowledge. And uh, I don't know, I, don't, I honestly never met him personally or talked to him. I just knew Hunter had the, you know, contact. And I was like, man, let's just, well, why don't we do something like directly with Dr. Chamberlain instead of just like giving it to, you know, a big company or whatever. Cause we know like he's got boots on the ground and like, I know his, I feel like his heart's in the right place. And like, I feel good about giving the money to him and what he's doing. Cause like we're seeing through, you know, there are different projects they're doing with like the hunting public they did in Alabama. And then they're doing a new project in like Missouri right now. And it's kind of just like, man, like, I think that's cool. And, you know, it's like, I know it's, it's not technically charity, but it is a, it's a, it's a cool thing where I was like, man, it's something I'm really passionate about. And like, I want to, I want to help the cause. Like if I can't be out there, you know, doing the research is like, well, at least I can, you know, help aid and funding for that research, you know, leverage this brand that we've made through this band and, and do that. So we kind of just, we did a mossy oak, uh, bottomland shirt last year and we were like man let's just do something a little different and then it was really just hunter and i and our and our merch manager just kind of came up with the idea we're like what if we made a you know box call but the top of it uh the paddle was a you know guitar or something like that and then the people who designed it crushed it and we were like all right let's do it and so but it's cool it's it's already gotten a lot of a lot of love and a lot of people have purchased them and so i'm look forward to seeing the check we can write to you know Dr. Chamberlain and his students over at Georgia for these research projects they're doing. And that, that shirt's only available for a limited time, correct? Yes, it is. So the, it's a, it's a, just a two week pre-sale. It ends March 14th. And uh, so we're, we're running it for two weeks and you can order those right now at just musketonbloodline.com. Uh, our store is right there in one of the tabs and it's one of the first tabs on the website. So pretty easy to find. Uh, the link is also in the Instagram of Muscadine Bloodlines IG. So, uh, but yeah, it runs for till Monday, March the 14th, and that'll be it. And then it'll probably take a week for us to get them out to everybody, and then everybody should have them. Sounds good. That's awesome putting that money back towards turkey conservation. And I think we're getting a little over right at an hour. Appreciate you giving your time. You got anything else, Storm? No, nah, just good luck this season, guys, and uh, thanks for having me. And hopefully, Grant, we can link up when we're in South Carolina or, or whatever if we make it up there. Yeah, no, uh, one more thing about the music part. I was going to get you a little bit for people who don't know to talk about the new album. I know you all put out, I guess, a couple months ago now. Just yeah. Yeah, for people where they can find it and all. Yeah, I mean, anywhere you listen to music, I don't care if you buy it, as long as you stream it and as long as you tell somebody. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a record that's pretty much our – the, the title track is Dispatch 16 Thabs, kind of Charlie and I's story of like kind of what our take on, you know, what our experience has been uh, in in Music City. And uh, really, I feel like this is our first record, you know, where we felt like it was no hold bar. And we were kind of like, man, we're, we're not chasing anything on it. We're just putting out the music we like. And uh, it wasn't, you know, hey, like, let's do this or that to, you know, make it, you know, make it fit on radio or something like that, or maybe get a record deal. It's like, nah, just, let's just put out music and, you know, I want to play country music. And so it's, it's one of those things where, 
I feel like uh, it's it's been great. The response has been awesome, and uh, we're just ready to get on the road in June after turkey season and go tour it. And uh, it'll be fun to to see that. And I think I think we got some shows up in Pennsylvania touring, so you might I might come out to a show. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you guys are coming up here, I'll definitely make a, a trip out for sure. Yeah. And we'll, de- Grant, we'll definitely be in South Carolina. We play there a pretty good bit. So, uh, uh, and we'll be announcing our tour, uh, I think March 21st. So, uh, that'll be the announce of the, and the tour is called the Country Band Contraband Tour. And so it's, uh, we're ready to go travel the country and play it for everybody. But yeah, you can find the record everywhere. And y'all's um, website and social medias are just Musket on Bloodline, correct? Yeah, um, it's all the the website is musketonbloodline.com, uh, but the handles on everything is Muscadon B line. Uh, it's just Musket on Bloodline couldn't fit. We should have known better. But uh, yeah, if you type in Musket on Bloodline, you'll find it. Sounds good. Torn, do you have anything else to add? No, no. Um, just that I'll make sure that I have. Uh, all the links for uh, Muscadine Bloodline in the show notes. I'll have links for the the t-shirt collab with Spring Legion. Get those uh, as soon as possible. They're going to a a great, great uh, cause. Uh, like we said earlier, I mean, we had the pleasure of talking to Dr. Chamberlain and, and kind of dug into his research a little bit and He's doing a lot of really good work, just like you mentioned, Gary. So uh, I definitely encourage everybody to uh, at least go out and per- pick up one of those shirts. Uh, lastly, Gary, I really, really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to hop on this pod with us, talk turkeys, talk music. And uh, you guys weren't kidding about the uh, the turkey nuts getting together and being in a unique niche where you guys can just ramble and ramble. Yeah, no, I, 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 I was reflecting all that. I was like, golly, dude, I talk so much about that. As soon as someone starts talking turkey, I'm just like, all right, I'm here for the party. Let's talk all night. It was, it was good, man. I thoroughly enjoyed it. As, as in the beginning, being uh, the person discussing it, and then towards the end, kind of just listening to you guys talk, it was a really good podcast. And like I said, I really appreciate you both hopping on to do this. Well, cool. We appreciate uh, I appreciate you, Tor, and it's nice to uh, meet you on this, and then hopefully we can meet you someday in real life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Whitetail Theories Podcast.